0: Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the Church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come, Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast for... um, Come Follow Me Lessons. This is going to be lesson number 8, and it's going to cover 2 Nephi 11-25. Ooh, that sounds like a lot. And uh, it'll cover the time period of February 16th through the 23rd. Now, these chapters, uh, there's going to be a lot of Isaiah chapters in here. In fact, uh, chapter 11 of 2 Nephi is sort of an introduction uh, to the next 13 chapters that follow that will be Isaiah chapters. Uh, Just a little summary about it. Uh, There are 16 chapters quoted in the Book of Mormon. And then there's another 31 paraphrases uh, from Isaiah. Um, we know that uh, the words of Isaiah are great. Uh, the Savior even mentioned that when he came among the Nephites. Um, Elder McConkie said, it, must, it may be that my salvation and yours also, in fact, depends upon our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and truly as Nephi understood them. So I guess we have a responsibility to understand them better. Uh, Elder McConkie mentioned also that there's 10 keys to understanding Isaiah. Pay the price, have the spirit of prophecy, understand the manner of prophesying of the Jews, become familiar with the geography of the Holy Land and regions around about it, learn of the judgments of God and the fulfillment of his promises or of his prophecies, understand the historical setting of Isaiah's writings, use the Book of Mormon, study all scriptures and learn them thoroughly, use the edition of the Bible published by the church, and then Isaiah is understood line upon line. Another thing to keep in mind with Isaiah is that he doesn't always speak in chronological order, so each chapter needs to be looked at carefully within its own historical context. Even uh, within verses, you need to know, is he talking about his day or our day? And sometimes he switches back and forth. Um, so Isaiah might be a little challenging from time to time, uh, but uh, something that we're supposed to understand. So I'm just going to, as, as I mentioned before, that the details of each of these chapters will be on the podcast uh, individually. But, but we'll just kind of give an overview of this uh, during this lesson here. So Jacob has finished speaking. Uh, Verse 2 mentions now that Nephi is going to write more about Isaiah uh, because he likes the word so much. It's interesting that we've just had Jacob speak to us, Nephi is speaking to us, and now he's going to be quoting Isaiah. So we have three witnesses. Elder Holland made this interesting comment about the three witnesses. He says, I am suggesting here that Nephi, Jacob, and Isaiah are three early types and shadows of Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris, if you will. Witnesses positioned right at the front of the book where Oliver, David, and Martin would be positioned. That Nephi, Jacob, and Isaiah are the three great ancient witnesses of the Book of Mormon, or more particularly, the first three great witnesses in the Book of Mormon testifying to the divinity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He who will be the central commanding, presiding figure throughout the Book of Mormon. Nephi stresses this idea himself when he writes in the 11th chapter of 2 Nephi, verses 2 and 3. Uh, he mentions in verse three or verse two, he says, "I will liken his words unto my people, and will send them forth unto all my children, for he verily saw my redeemer, even as I have seen him, and my brother Jacob has also seen him." Here, so here we're, we have three witnesses of people that have seen Jesus. Now we know that David, Oliver, and and Martin saw the angel Moroni. And a witness of the Book of Mormon and its truthfulness. And so these three witnesses here are being mentioned. Now it's important also to remember that whenever a prophet quotes another prophet, that that's pretty important to pay attention to. Because, again, the law of witnesses is being used. Uh, verse 4, Nephi says, My soul delights in the proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. Uh, it all, and, uh, and also in the covenants of the Lord. Uh, my soul delights in his grace and his justice and power. Uh, and improving unto my people that uh, saved Christ should come, all men would, must perish. So he's uh, excited to talk about the Savior, and he's going to use Isaiah to do it, do it with. Um, so uh, as we get into 2 uh, Nephi chapter 12, um, and this is uh, also the same as, uh, J- uh, as Isaiah chapter 2. So uh, some of the details here, as I mentioned, will be in the other podcasts. Um, but, he, but this is about, remember that the, the words of Isaiah have to do with the scattering of Israel, the gathering of Israel, the second coming, about the Savior's first and second coming, about the last days, and about the millennium. And so uh, we get into that. Now look at verse 3. Many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. So he's, he's going up to the mountain, up to the top. And that's, he's talking about the temple, isn't he? It's interesting that uh, in talking about, um, uh, let's look at verse 2 again, or back to 2. He says, uh, The Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Now how can, how can uh, things flow uphill? Uh, So that means it's going to be miraculous powers that are going to have that happen, cause that to happen. Uh, It's interesting to note in talking about the mountain or the top of the mountains. When uh, Utah was being considered as a state, Brigham Young had wanted it to be called Deseret. But Congress said they didn't like that name. And so they looked around and decided that they were going to call it after the... Native Americans that lived there, the Utes, and so they called it Utah. And if you look at the meaning of the word Utah, or the Ute, it it means in the tops of the mountains. So when when, uh, Isaiah here is prophesying that the Lord's house will be in the top of the mountains, he's literally saying that the Lord's house will be established in Utah. That would be a good sign for those that are trying to find the true church, wouldn't it? All right, Uh, verse four, he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. Um, verse uh, 5 says let us walk in the ways of the Lord Uh, so these are Isaiah's words to convince us to keep the commandments and do the things we're supposed to Uh, he talks about the various people um, rich and poor uh, that are uh, not keeping the commandments and that they need to Uh, in verse 13 says yea and the day of the Lord shall come upon all the cedars of Lebanon are uh, lifted up. And when he talks about trees here, this is symbol symbolism for people. Uh, these are people that might be high and, and lofty and so on, that, that, uh, that they need to be brought down or that they need to be repenting to. Um, verse uh, 20, whenever he says, in that day, he's usually talking about the second coming or the last days. And this particular imagery here has to do with the la- with the second coming where he says that they'll cast away their idols uh, when the Savior returns. Let's go to chapter 13, 2 Nephi 13, which is Isaiah chapter 3. Uh, whenever he says the daughters of Zion, he's not just talking about women. This is also men as well. These are covenant people uh, that that are striving to keep the covenants that, that may not be. They're straying a little bit. He's talking to them. And that's us. Um he, he mentions here about um, in verse 21 uh, and my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Uh, he's talking also about the breakdown of traditional families uh, or that men might be weak leaders and not doing the, their responsibilities. Um, and then also down in verse uh as we begin in verse uh, 19 or 17, he's talking about some of the clothing that the women will, will be wearing. Um, and again, the details you can find on the other pod- podcasts. Some of these, um, the mufflers or veils, the uh, headbands, the rings, the changeable apparel, the, the wimples, that's a shawl, the crisping pins is really a, a purse, um, and so on. So there are lots of different words there that we may not understand. Let's go to chapter 14. Um, In that day, verse 2, shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. This is about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the branch. He's also an offshoot of the house of Israel, often called a righteous branch. Um, Verse 3, and it shall come to pass that they that are left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem shall be called holy. This is after the Savior's coming. Um, Now, when Joseph Smith received his vision of Moroni, Moroni quoted from Uh, Verses 4 and 5, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, in other words, cleansed the earth and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And that's talking about the second coming. Moroni said that this hadn't been fulfilled, but soon would be. And so as we prepare for the second coming, we know that these things are are pretty close to happen. Uh, Verse 5, the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all, the glory shall be a defense. Now, notice that um, he's talking here about something specific. um, That the fire that will be created or the smoke that will be created upon the dwelling places. Remember that anciently in Israel, upon the tabernacle, there was a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire that showed that God was present there. I just want to read you a comment here from Elder Orson Pratt, who talks about this fulfillment being literal, not just figurative. He says, The time is to come when God will meet with all the congregation of his saints and to show his approval, and that he does love them, he will work a miracle by covering them in the cloud of his glory. I do not mean something that is invisible, but I mean that same order of things which once existed on the earth, so far as the tabernacle of Moses was concerned which was carried in the midst of the children of Israel in the, as they journeyed in the wilderness but in the latter days there will be people so pure in Mount Zion with a house established upon the tops of the mountains that God will manifest himself not only in their temple and upon all their assemblies with a visible cloud during the day But when the night shall come, if they shall be assembled for worship, God will meet with them by his pillar of fire. And when they retired to their habitations, behold, each habitation will be lighted up by the glory of God, a pillar of fire, a pillar of flaming fire by night. Did you ever hear of any city that was thus favored and blessed since the day that Isaiah delivered this prophecy? No, it is a latter day work, one that God... Must consummate in the latter times when he begins to reveal himself and show forth his power among the nations. So that is something that we can look forward to that will be a, a great blessing to the Latter Day Saints and to those that are keeping the covenants. Uh, verse six, our uh, verse fifteen, is, is uh, can be divided into a couple parts here. Verses one through seven is the song of the vineyard, and part two, which is verses eighty-eight to, to thirty, is the bitter crop that is produced. Um, And so this is, uh, again, some imagery from Isaiah. Um, The verses 8 to 25 presents a series of six woes, all of which demonstrate the law or the low spiritual state of certain groups. Uh, The first speaks against the improper use of land. The second contains prophetic word of the manner in which those of the world improperly and will with evil intent eat, drink, and make merry. The third woe is directed against those who are wicked and mock God and his divine plan. The fourth speaks against liars and those who fight against the things of God. And the fifth deals with conceited individuals who believe themselves to be wise. And the sixth uh, accuses those who give bribes and belittle the righteous. Uh, So that's kind of a summary of that particular chapter of Isaiah. Um, Verse... uh, 25 there's some interesting uh, things in here where he talks about the anger of the Lord is kindled but then at the end of the verse and and he does this in several verses he says for all this his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still. In other words you can still repent even though you're you know I'm I'm punishing you and, and it's because of your wickedness if you'll just turn back my hand is still outstretched to you so please repent. Um, so all of these things that he's doing, the natural disasters that occur, the punishments that occur are all to get us to repent if we would just do it. Okay, uh, let's go on to chapter 16. Uh, he mentions here about uh, being in the temple. Uh, he sees the, the Lord sitting upon his throne, so he, he's peeking into heaven here, uh, seeing God upon his throne. Um And in verse 2, he sees the angels uh, with wings. Now we know that angels don't have wings, but this is all symbolic of their power and so on. Uh, Joseph said that if we could uh, read and comprehend all that's been written from the days of Adam on the relations of man to God and angels in a future state, we should know very little about it. Uh, But if we could gaze into heaven five minutes, you would know more than you would by reading all that's ever been written on the subject. Uh, And So that's our challenge, is to uh, be worthy enough to not just read about heaven, but to see it. Um, verse 8. Uh, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, in other words, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I, I often wonder if uh, in the pre-mortal life before we came here, uh, when, when we were given an opportunity to come to earth, We probably realized that this earth was going to be a very challenging place to come, that there would be lots of wickedness here. But yet uh, the Lord needed to send uh, some of his best to the earth. And I wonder if we also didn't say, here am I, send me. I think we had that opportunity and I think we raised our hand and said that we would come here in spite of the challenges that we face. I think that we're here for a reason and that uh, that reason is to help move the kingdom forward, especially at this particular time uh, with President Nelson and all that's going on. I bear testimony of that truth. Okay, let's go on to chapter 17. Um, So this one here, again, Ephraim and uh, Syria. So this has got some of the history of uh, Israel in it. Uh, But this prophecy has a direct application for us, although it was literally fulfilled with Assyria uh, when they invaded Israel. Assyria is a type and symbol of the warring nations that will exist in the latter days shortly before the second coming. The the text provides a number of clues regarding this, including Isaiah's fourfold use of the the formula in that day, a phrase that often pertains to our own day. Further, if we accept the Lord's signs of Emmanuel, Uh, In other words, if we accept Jesus Christ and his atonement, we will be protected during the wars in the last days. The central messages for us in in this section are that we we should trust the Lord's word that comes through his prophet, rather than rely on the arm of flesh and Judah's inhabitants should find comfort in knowing that a remnant of Israel shall return to Israel as the Lord has promised. And that was from the book uh, Understanding Isaiah by Perry. So uh, verse 14, he says, I'm going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son. Now, this happens to Isaiah, that he has a son. um, And it was prophetic for Israel then. But he's also talking about the Savior, uh, that uh, the Savior would be born of a virgin. Um, And so that's uh, also verse 18, he says, in that day, verse 20, in the same day, verse 21, in that day, verse 23, in that day. And so, all of these things have to do with uh, what's going on in the last days. All right, verse 18. Um, Isaiah is presenting three images of Christ that have special meaning for us today water, temple, and light. First, Jesus is as essential to our spiritual salvation as water is to our physical salvation. That is to say, without water we will die physically, and without Christ we will die spiritually. Second, we will find peace and comfort in Jesus Christ if we permit him to be our temple, the focus of our worship, our cornerstone, the chief part of the building, and our sure foundation where we can find sure footing. Third, as we walk through mortality, which is like passing a, passing in the shadow or in darkness, we receive great hope, comfort, and joy when we accept Jesus as our great light. And again, that was from Understanding Isaiah. So this chapter then has to do with the Savior and, and his promises of uh of helping us. Verse 14, he shall be for a sanctuary, uh, but for a stone of stumbling. In other words, uh, there will be some reasons that the the Jews don't believe in Christ. And part of that is that they were looking for the King Messiah as opposed to the servant Messiah that they they didn't understand. Um, Meaning that they will stumble because uh, he doesn't come as the Messiah that they thought of or hoped for. Chapter 19, again, this is speaking about the Savior. Uh, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, meaning the Savior is going to come among them um, and that he's going to uh, help them. Verse 6 uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And uh, in Hebrew, remember that there's no punctuation. Uh, so in the, in the verse that says uh, in, our, in our hymns and so on, we often use the, the phrase wonderful, count, wonderful Comma Counselor. But if we read it uh, without a comma there, I want to read it that way. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So I like to look at it that way. Uh, so he has these four titles. Uh, of the increase of government and peace, there is no end upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it. Uh, that Jesus will be, the, will be the king of Israel eventually. Verse uh, 20, uh, again, this is about the destruction of Assyria, uh, which is a type of the coming of the, of the second coming. Uh, verse 21, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. So the, in the last days, the, the, there will be a remnant of Israel. Chapter 21, uh, there shall come a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Uh, we know from uh, Doctrine and Covenants that we're talking about Jesus here, uh, that he's the stem, that he's the, the root that comes out. Uh, also, that we know that uh, that there's a reference in here to Joseph Smith as well. Uh, in verse 6, he's talking about uh, the second coming, that the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the peace that will be on the, on the earth during the second coming. Uh, verse 10, in that day there shall be a root out of Jesse. Uh, and this he's talking about Joseph Smith here, that he will be among the Gentiles. Uh, again, in verse 11, he says in that day. Uh, the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to re- recover Israel. And that's uh, what's going on with the restoration of the gospel today. Verse 12, he shall set up an ensign for the nations. And that ensign is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Verse 20, or Chapter 22, again, he mentions that in that day, a couple times in that chapter. Chapter 23, uh, verse 3, I have commanded my sanctified ones... I shall also, my call to my mighty ones, for mine anger is not upon them that rejoice in my highness. Again, this is those that are being called to uh, serve in the last days to bring forth the, the, an established Zion and the kingdom of God on the earth. Um, down, to ver, down to chapter 24 then, uh, the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will choose Israel. Uh, the stranger shall be joined with them. In other words, the Gentiles will be converted. They will also become part of Israel. Uh, as though they were born in the covenant. Uh, Verse 2, And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, uh, so they will have their inheritance. Verses 3 and 4 again talks about in that day. Uh, Now 25, uh, chapter 25 is Nephi's explanation of the previous Isaiah chapters that we just read. He mentions in verse... uh, 7. Behold, I proceed with mine own prophecy, according to my plainness, in which I know that no man can err. Nevertheless, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, men shall know of a surety at the times when they shall come to pass. In other words, it sounds like we won't really be able to understand completely the prophecies of Isaiah until they've happened. And then we can look back and go, oh, that's what he meant. Uh, Verse uh, 11. They shall be restored again to their land, um, to the lands of their inheritance. And um, the Jews will be scattered in verse 15 among all nations. Uh, but then in 16, they uh, and after they've been scattered, the Lord shall scourge them by other nations. Uh, and they will be even down from generation to generation shall they be persuaded to believe in Christ. And so as the as they gather, the Jews will start to believe in Christ. Uh, verse 17, the Lord will set his hand again the second time to receive his people, to restore his people and uh, those from their lost and fallen state. Uh, so Israel is lost uh, only in the sense that they don't know who they are uh, until, they're, until they're met by the missionaries and they bring them into the gospel. And then they find out who they are. Uh, verse 23, we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. And uh, we talk of Christ, verse 26, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ. The purpose of all of these scriptures is to convince us that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and then at the end of this chapter, verse 29, now now behold I say unto you that the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. And Christ is the Holy One of Israel wherefore you must bow down before him and worship him with all your might, mind, and strength. And verse 30, and inasmuch as it shall be expedient, ye shall keep the performances and ordinances of God, and the law uh, that was given into Moses. So the Nephites are still continuing to live the law of Moses, even though they know that it's the atonement of Christ that uh, is going to save them, not the law of Moses. They still did it by obedience. I bear testimony of the truth of the gospel, and especially of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that, that the words of Isaiah are great, and that they teach us the many things that we need to know and to learn and to understand. And particularly, he talks about the scattering and the gathering of Israel and the second coming and the things that we look forward to. I bear testimony to the truth of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time.